Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. Thanks for being here in this series we've been in for a couple of weeks now, The Five Essentials for Growth, where we're talking about these five essentials that have been true in my life, have been true in your life, I'm sure, uh, all through the Bible. These are the five things that never go out of style, that never stop being relevant, the five things that God uses to grow faith in us over and over and over again. Doesn't matter, you're never gonna outgrow them, you're never gonna, be, they'll never become irrelevant to you. Uh, and so it's important important for us to talk about them. And early in the series, we talked about the way we activate each one of them is by faith. It's really the key that unlocks each one of these five essentials as we've been walking through them. And I hope that there have been some ahas for you and some next steps for you. And hopefully again today, that will be the case. Here's the fourth one we're going to talk about today. The fourth essential is what I'm calling pivotal circumstances. And a pivotal circumstance is literally a situation that changes your life. Now, for some of you, that pivotal circumstance might have been like a mission trip. Uh, The pivotal circumstance might have been camp experience. For me, it was back when I was a teenager, uh, and I get excited every year when I see our kids getting ready to go to camp in July. They're all going to go to camp, and they're going to place like a cool place. They're going to you know, uh, Panama City Beach, Florida. That, that's like awesome. We went to like out in the sticks outside of Austin, Texas. That's where I went to camp. And uh, it was like, yay, it's 110 out here. This, what do we do? We're going to learn how to make a fire. Well, if we just need a magnifying glass, we could make that pretty fast. But anyway, it, it was, uh, it, I made it sound really lame, but it was actually transformational to my life. It was ama- it's amazing how these moments that you go through, pivotal circumstances like this, can radically change the way you understand God, yourself, your future. And I remember one of the first times that I really had an encounter with God, it radically changed my life, was at a camp experience. Uh, and maybe a Bible study was that for you. Maybe it was getting married, having the birth of your child, your first child, second, third, fourth, however many, every, every birth is, is really a pivotal circumstance because it's going to change your life. And we have these amazing moments that happen, and sometimes they're not so amazing in, in, in the sense that they're painful, they're difficult, they're frustrating. Sometimes a pivotal circumstance can come in the form of pain and suffering. Sometimes a pivotal circumstance is the loss of a loved one. Sometimes it is the loss of a dream something you've worked so hard for, and you watch it just collapse. Maybe it is watching somebody that you love slowly get sicker, maybe a child. It's it's one of those things that you've gone through. It's very difficult. It's a financial crisis. It's a difficulty, and it's one of those moments where you find yourself saying, how did I get here? And I'm so frustrating. It's so scary. It's those moments that happen for many people that it turns this whole idea of God and faith from something that's kind of a religion ritual thing into a lifeline for life. People, and maybe you've known people like this, maybe you are a people like this that have gone from a place in your life where you're like hardly ever talked about God. And now, and you know people like this, that's all they want to talk about. (laughs) And it's usually because of a pivotal circumstance. There's something happened. 
Something happened. And many times it was a painful something. But it was something that maybe in your life it introduced you to God for the first time or reintroduced you to God. Maybe you had a season of your life where you were MIA from God. You know, like, I, you don't, I don't do church. I don't do God. Like something you, that caused you to sort of drift away. But then there was this pivotal circumstance that, boom, brought you right back. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, maybe for the first time, down on your knees, crying out to God. And many times, the thing that got you there was painful. It was difficult. It was frustrating. It was a heartbreak. C.S. Lewis, <clears throat> arguably one of the greatest theologian, philosopher, writers of the last hundred years, wrote about this in a book called The Problem of Pain. And a great quote I wanted to share with you that he wrote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's the way God wakes us up and gets our attention and breaks our deafness to him as, he, as he's saying, it's pain. It's pain. Now, I know that if you're a skeptic today, you would say, well, guys, that seems really convenient for you Christians, right? Really to let God off the hook. If he's supposed to be all-powerful and all-loving, why do bad stuff keep happening to good people? And I hear you. That's a great point. But it's important for us to understand God has always, let me say it again, God has always used pain, suffering, and struggle to grow faith. Always. This is a part of the process that he uses. It is resistance against the muscle that makes the muscle stronger, that makes it able to, to, to pick up more, to have more strength. That is how it works with us spiritually as well. It's interesting in the New Testament, <clears throat> this half-brother of Jesus named James has this entire book named after him in the New Testament. James had witnessed his brother grow up in the same home with him, become publicly this Messiah, and, and uh, early church writers tell us that James didn't really even become a believer until after the resurrection. So the whole time Jesus had a public ministry, James was trying to figure out, is my brother crazy or is he right? You know, like, you know, I, and I, you have to cut him a little slack. He grew up in the same house. He'd seen his dirty laundry, you know, and grown up in the same house. Like, he, he'd seen Jesus like that. And it took him a little while, but he finally accepted Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And he watched his brother crucified, resurrected from the dead. <clears throat> after that, he had seen Christian after Christian after Christian persecuted to death for their faith. And James, right at the very beginning of this book, chapter 1, starting with verse 2, he says, let me share with you something I've learned, something profound that I think could really help you. Like he starts the book with it. Like this is the, sets the tone for the rest of the book. Here's what he says. He says, you need to consider it pure, let's say it together, consider it pure, joy. What are we to be so joyful about, James, my brothers and sisters? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, say, what, James? Okay, like, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, say it together, perseverance. He says, you need to know this is not accidental. This is on purpose. God uses trials he uses difficulties, testings of your faith to produce in you faith that perseveres through hard, difficult times. God knows something that either we don't know or we forget sometimes. There is no other way to grow that kind of faith in you and I. 
than to have us go through something that is resistance against the muscle, that makes us stronger, that will grow in us, hopefully at some point, unshakable faith, that no matter what you go through, you can hold on to the Lord no matter what happens. And we almost, it's nearly impossible for us to get there through just pleasurable, prosperous, easy, non-challenging times in your life. It's nearly impossible to get there. It's like, try to get in the best shape of your life and don't ever go to the gym and don't ever work out, right? Good luck with that. That's not really how it works. You gotta get the heart rate up. You gotta get some resistance. You gotta be able to have some, push some weight around. You gotta get up and run. You gotta, if you're gonna raise your resistance and your strength, that's how it works. And this is what James is showing us. Don't be afraid of this. Actually, I want you to consider it joy because there is a great result that's coming, a perseverance, a determination, a strength that you don't now have will come to your life no other way. I want you to see this today. And it, here's what's so powerful about this, and we're going to talk about it today, is that Jesus shows us this kind of faith over and over and over. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you something in Jesus today that might shock you. It's something that's not talked about a whole lot. It's not something that's spotlighted a whole lot. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I've even heard very many sermons on it in my whole life. And, and so it's kind of an interesting thing. And here is what we're going to be talking about today. That sometimes Jesus not only allows pain, but he even creates circumstances to test and grow faith. Now, for some of you, you might be looking at that going, could that be right? That seems like heresy or something. Like, well, how could Jesus do something? How could he allow something like this? And I want to, just to be able to help you to understand, wrap your mind around this today, we're going to look at a <clears throat> historical account in the New Testament found in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. This moment in history where Jesus has this extraordinary interaction with this family that he is doing exactly this that he is how, allowing pain in order to orchestrate this moment, to create a, a moment to test faith and to grow it in them. It's found in the 11th chapter of John, and starting with the first verse, here's what we're told. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany. This is a little village just a couple miles outside, uh, just down the hill, if you will, from Jerusalem, kind of going due west out of the city in this little village of mary and her sister martha so the sisters sent word to jesus and here's what they said lord the one you let's say it together the one you love is sick so this isn't jesus come and sick some ran, come come heal some random sick person this is a family that he was very close with they were like a surrogate family for him this Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all siblings, they were very close with Jesus. And they were like, hey, your good friend that you love, Lazarus, he's sick, like on his sick bed. He is dying. You need to come quickly, okay? And so in verse 4, we're told this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. He's telling this to the disciples. <clears throat> no, it is for God's sake to get together with me. It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, this is an extraordinary moment here, if you look at what Jesus is saying. He's saying, through the sickness of Lazarus, and he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker, God's going to get glory 
through this tragic situation here, okay? And um, this is kind of a radical new approach to the whole idea of glory. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, well, I thought God got glory through victory. He absolutely does. But Jesus is opening up a brand new category. This is one of the revolutionary, one of many revolutionary radical things that Jesus taught. He says, but there's this whole other category that God has, that he gets glory through pain, suffering, and struggles in your life. And, and to, to that, you may be just like me, you're saying, no, thank you, God, okay? I don't want you to, I mean, like, if there's many different ways to get glory through my life, God, I want the success story glory, okay? Like, I, I want you to, like, make me insanely successful, and I'll be like, God gets the glory for all this. I want the uh, winning touchdown glory, you know? I want that kind of glory. I want the youngest billionaire glory. Like, wouldn't that be great? They're like, how did you, how'd you get so successful? God did it. You know, like, that's the glory we all want to. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah, that's the one we want right there. But Jesus is saying, sometimes God flips the table, and he does just the opposite of what you think he's going to do or what you would hope that he would do. He does just the opposite. And in those times, he draws us to himself through circumstances that arguably could be the very thing to cause you to distrust God. It would cause people to turn their backs on God because it's so painful, it's so difficult, it's so challenging. But it's in those moments where you see people gain this profound, amazing, extraordinary supernatural faith through the most horrendous times you can imagine a person going through and surviving. And Jesus is talking about this. In other words, to Jesus, strong faith, strong faith is more important than the vehicle that gets us there, whether it is tragedy or victory. I hope you see this today. It's strong faith helping you to believe and to trust in him fully and completely. And, and a part of that faith journey is God is making you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is his goal, not your pleasure, your comfort, your prosperity, okay? That's what he wants for you. And whatever vehicle gets you there, whether it's tragedy or victory. Now, here's something I want to say about the tragedy part of that is that if you walk through the tragedy with faith, surrendering it to God, saying, God, I'm walking closely with you, I'm going to trust you, God has the power to turn tragedy into victory. That is his specialty, to resurrect things that look dead, that look like there is no hope, there's no way out of this, God. I don't know what to do. God says, I'll, I'll make a way. If you'll trust me, you'll turn to me, you'll hold on to me and not give up right now. I'll walk you through this, and I'll grow your faith like you never thought it could be. Despite the circumstance, this will become a pivotal circumstance for you. Everything will change. In verse 5, we're told that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he... Now, before we jump forward, let's just guess for a minute what he did. Well, he packed up his bag, told the disciples, we're going to Bethany, boys. We're going to go see Mary and Martha, and we're going to heal Lazarus today. We're going right now, right? That was what we would expect him to do. And thank you for playing. That is not what happened, okay? The verse goes on to say, stayed, he stayed where he was how many more days? 
two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And we'll talk more about what had just happened in Judea in a second. But I'm going to just say here for a second, this has got to be frustrating for Mary and Martha. Like, they're close. Their brother's dying. They send word to Jesus. And he stays. He waits. Some of you can go, I can relate. And some of you can. That you have maybe for days and days, months and months, even years, you have been begging God in prayer. Sending word through prayer to him. Lord, please intervene. Fix the situation. Heal this. Mend my heart. Make these kids obey. Fill my bank account with money. Yeah, like, wouldn't that be great? And he seems to be waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're like, and more painful waiting, right? What am I to do in the meantime? And I want to encourage you, don't give up. That there is something powerful happening. Even though it feels like nothing's happening, God is doing something powerful in the waiting of you continuing to trust, continuing to have hope, even when circumstances say it's hopeless, never change. It's never going to get any better. I would encourage you, don't give up hope right now. We fast forward a little bit into the story. Verse 14, Jesus decides he's going to tell the disciples exactly what's going on with Lazarus. Verse 14, he tells us this. He says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay, he's not sick anymore, guys. He's dead. He's gone. They're having his funeral over there. And they're still like a three or four day journey away from Bethany at this point. And he says, and for your sake, this is the part that's going to kind of blow your mind if you put it in context and think about it for a second. And for this, and for your sake, I am, say it together, I am, I'm glad. Like, what are you, what are you glad about, Jesus? I'm glad I was not there. Why? Why on earth would Jesus be glad that he was not there? What would he hope that he would accomplish by not being there and being able to do a miracle on the spot in that second and alleviate everybody's anxiety and hurt and loss in that moment, what is he hoping to do? Here's what the verse goes on to say. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. I think it's important to pause right here and to define this word believe. This word believe literally means complete trust and faith. Complete trust and faith. Like I want, this is what I want for you so bad. And the only vehicle to get you there sometimes, to get me there sometimes, is a painful, difficult, challenging, pivotal circumstance. And some of you are right up in the middle of one right now. And it hurts, and it's frustrating, and you're holding, feels like sometimes, by just a shred of faith holding you to God. And I want to tell you, do not give up in this moment. And it's so important that we continue to trust and we hold on to God even though things get tough. And in this next verse here, verse 16, we hear Thomas speak up. And Thomas, then Thomas, also known as Didymus. Um, and let me just say, Thomas, my boy Thomas has gotten a bad rap. He's the doubter. Yes, after the resurrection, he's the one that says, Jesus, I want to believe, but give me some evidence that it's really you, that you resurrected from the dead. And Jesus says, come here. I'll give you all the evidence you want. Come and touch the scars in my hand and on my feet and believe and stop doubting. You see, Jesus was like, if you're seeking evidence, if you're seeking something to believe in, I'll give it to you. Come to me. Don't run from me. Don't let it be a wedge that draws between us, but draw close to me. 
And it was powerful to see how it radically changed everything for Thomas. And here's what Thomas says. And, and he, says, he says to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. And the reason he says this is that if you read at the end of the chapter, just before the chapter 10 of John, you'll find that Jesus was almost arrested and almost stoned to death before he left Judea the last time. So there are people there that want him dead and are aggressive about getting that done. So they realize if we go back close to you know, Jerusalem and the whole Judean area, if we go over there, he's probably going to get killed and we are too. But this is amazing. Thomas here, Thomas of all people is saying, listen, I'm going ahead and resolve right now that I want to be with Jesus no matter what comes my way. In other words, he's like, I will walk into the hellstorm of battle, fire, whatever it takes. I would rather be with Jesus in the middle of that than sitting safely over here without Jesus. The principle that I think is so powerful for us to take today from this moment in the story is, I'd rather be with Jesus in a crisis than without Jesus without a crisis. Because the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, it's not if, it's when. Monday morning, walking into work, you're probably going to have a crisis. Well, it's Memorial Day. Maybe Tuesday morning, walking into work, you will have a crisis. I will too. It's just part of life. And, and I want to tell you, don't look at the crisis. James is trying to say, consider it pure joy. There's something, look at it like, this is a potential for my faith to grow. This is a potential for God to come through and do something amazing. He's going to deepen my faith. He's going to strengthen my faith. If I'll trust him with this moment, because it's a crucial, pivotal, circumstantial moment that could destroy, could hurt, it could begin to erode your faith, or it could strengthen it like never before. And you get to decide. You get to choose in that moment. Choose as Thomas did. I'm going with him. I'm going to trust, and I'm going to walk with him. And this is what happened. We're told in verse 17 that upon his arrival there in Bethany, as he arrived, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Like he died, they had the funeral, put him in the ground, and he's been dead and in there for four days, okay? Not usually a time when people are going... Anytime now he'll coming out of that place, you know, like hope is gone. It, it feels like this is a radical moment for Jesus to be showing up. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, like he's not even to the town yet, he's still a ways off. This just tells you this, this lady was a little bit upset. She was mad. She wanted to have some words with Jesus. She takes off running. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. She's like, I'll just clean up the house because it looks like you're a little bit hot and bothered. I'm going to let you go talk to him. I'm staying here. So Martha runs out to meet with Jesus. But Mary uh, stayed at home. Uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She didn't like candy coat it, like start off with, how you doing? It's been a long time. You know, like nothing like that. She says, like, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And my guess is that some of you in the room here have had a moment like that with the Lord in prayer. Lord, if you had been here, maybe this marriage wouldn't have died. If you had been here, if you had done something like a miracle for me, the, these kids would have turned out differently. 
or they would respect me. I would have not so many financial crises in my life. If you had been here, if you had intervened, if you had done something different with my story, my story would have turned out differently. I wouldn't be in this mess that I'm in today if you had been here. Lord, why? Why am I going through this? And the question is, what is God trying to do through your circumstance to grow your faith? And will you let him? Would you surrender to the process, trust him, and let him grow that faith? That's the question. And it's so difficult in those moments to keep that focus because we are losing it. And I want to encourage you, if you're there right now, to be willing to trust him in that moment. In verse 22, it says, and this is Martha continuing to speak, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, let's say it together, I, I know, just like she said, I know up here, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And the Jewish people, they understood the resurrection to be something that would happen at the end of time. After everybody had deceased, passed away, everybody would be resurrected, judgment would happen, and it would be decided whether you go to heaven or hell. That's the way they understood it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're you're thinking about something that's going to happen way in the future, but you need to understand this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Like the thing that you think is going to happen way out there, it's happening right here, right now. From here forward, there is an opportunity for you to get right with God and to be right with Him and to know Him regardless of your circumstances. The verse goes on to say this, Jesus says, the one who, let's say it together, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Did you see the difference in the word, the verb? She's saying, I know. I know this. I know this. I know this. And Jesus is saying, I need you to believe this, believe this, believe this. I know you know it, Martha. I know you grew up going to Sunday school as a little girl. You grew up in church. You know all this stuff. You can regurgitate this information. You've been in Bible study. You know what the Old Testament says. I know you know it. But do you really believe it? Here's the difference between these two words. Knowing, this word know means to comprehend. Yeah, I I, I grasp the concepts. But Jesus is saying, I want you to do more than grasp the concepts. I know you know. I want you to believe. I want you to completely trust Do you trust me? That's the question. Not do you understand the concepts. Those are radically different things. And sometimes in the Christian world, we get them confused. We get real impressed with how much people know, not how much they are applying, how much is actually being lived out, because complete trust means that it is impacting every part of the life. And this is most important to Jesus. Do you really believe? Are you willing to rely on me? I love Martha's response here. Verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. She finally gets it. It's like the light bulb goes on in the cartoon, right? Bing, right there. I get it. She replied, I, let's say it together, I, I completely trust that you are the, the Messiah, which means the anointed one. This is, Messiah is the Hebrew translation of the anointed one. Christ 
is the Greek translate. They both mean the exact same thing. The anointed one of God sent to the world to be the savior of all mankind, right? I finally get it. I believe. I fully trust. You're my deliverer. You're everybody's deliverer. You're our way out of, you're our ticket out of this mess. You're the only hope we have to make this world turn out to make some kind of sense, to have some kind of purpose and meaning behind all this random, crazy junk that happens to us, right? You're it. And I'm seeing that for the first time. You're the son of God who has come into the world. I trust that. You see, we all need to make that transition that Martha did. See, tra that transition from this idea, and, and maybe you've prayed this before, I certainly have, of praying, Jesus, I have faith that you can do something about my circumstances, I have faith that you can intervene and make everything turn out rosy and beautiful and great and it, no struggles, no pain and suffering. But the real question, the real struggle is, will you have faith if he doesn't? If he doesn't turn it out the way you want him to? It doesn't turn out exactly the way you planned. Because he's God and you and I are not. And right now, I'm going to invite the band to come back out on the stage they have prepared a beautiful, very powerful song called Even When It Hurts. It's a song about going through really difficult circumstances, but trusting God anyway. And for some of you right now, you're going through a pivotal circumstance in your life, and it hurts, and it's been hurting for a while, and you don't know how long this is going to last. It is difficult. And if that is you today, this song is just for you. It is a gift from God to you, and I hope that you will listen to the lyrics and let it minister to you. And I'm going to come out at the end of the song and end us with a prayer. But if you would just take a moment to let these lyrics minister to your heart. Let's do that. Take this fainted heart Take these tainted hands Wash me in your love Come like grace again Even when my strength is lost I'll praise you even when I have no song, I'll praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words louder than I sing your praise. I will only sing, take this mountain.
want to close you, uh, you and I in a prayer right now. And in this prayer, I'm asking you to just take a moment to say to God, Lord, I would rather you grow my faith right now than to soften my circumstances. I'm trusting you with my pivotal circumstance I'm going through. I'm trusting with you with this, whatever it is that you're going through right now that's been hard, been painful, difficult. You're walking with somebody who's going through it. It's hard on you too. It's been difficult and you wonder how long is this going to last? I just want to encourage you today, surrender that to the Lord and to decide, resolve in your heart, God, I will trust you no matter what happens. I want you to grow persevering faith in me. And maybe today that next step is just truly just trusting him as the deliverer of your life, the forgiver of sin and the Lord of your life. You maybe you've never done that before and today's the day you need to do that. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.